We made it. We're alive. We're alive. It's been a long time. Shouldn't have left you without a podcast to listen to. There's about 10 people who listen to this podcast, maybe, who get that joke. Um, this is Drew Croson. We have little Cole Crawford here today, but we are joined by Jip Hubbard. Good afternoon, America. Good afternoon, America. Now, we were just talking about current events, like the Norman invasion of England in 1066 AD. That's, you know, it's current in, like, you know, in context. Like it's, much more, it's much more current than, you know, the when the Greeks invaded, oh. you know, like, anywhere. You get a long enough timeline. That's basically yesterday. Yeah. It's, it's a lot more current than the Pliocene epoch. Yeah, it's a lot more current than the, the Mesozoic era. It's yesterday. <laughs> the world has had two giant extinctions before that. Before that. So that's pretty great. Two mass extinctions. Uh, we drove, speaking Perhaps of mass extinctions, speaking of mass extinctions, over Thanksgiving, which I hope everybody listening to the podcast had a great Thanksgiving. I actually was back in the land of the free and the home of the brave uh, over Thanksgiving, and I drove through a part of central Texas that I forgot outside of Waco boasts a mammoth skeleton, a woolly mammoth. We got it. We got it, baby. (laughs) So if you ever are in central Texas and you want to see what the ancestor to the elephant looked like as a skeleton, spoiler alert, just like an elephant. Yeah. Then that's where you want to go. It's because the fuzzy part was on the outside. Could that just be a giant elephant skeleton and you wouldn't know the difference? There's absolutely. no way to tell. There's, There's no way absolutely. to tell. I'm sure like there are people who could tell, but they've gone to college for a long time to be able to tell. And I didn't because that's not what I studied. And so they could tell me that it's a woolly mammoth and I would have to believe them. Oh, I don't trust them. I don't trust them. At that point in time, they're just propagating their their own like job. So right. they, I, who knows? I have a weird disorder where I usually trust scientists and PhDs. I don't know why, but I, I if they tell anybody. me, if enough anybody, of them tell me that something is true, like climate change, I usually say, okay, probably so. Why not? Sounds like a, sounds like a conspiracy theory to me. Yeah. They got all these scientists to say this was the case so that they would be terrified that the world would, would end and it would be humans' fault. Like the guy a couple of years ago who literally was like, look, yeah, climate change is real. We can't even change it. We've gotten too far. We're all going to be dead in 200 years. Like, well, he's not. I'm going to be, I'm gonna be dead anyway. Yeah. So <laughs> that's that guy isn't profiting off of climate change. He's just terrified. <laughs> They had that guy, they had a, like a parody of that guy, not parody, but they like kind of talk about that guy on an episode of the newsroom one time. They had this guy that I, I was like, uh, what do we even, what do we say to this? This guy is the most doom and gloom scientist of all time. So he's, like, he's called Eeyore in the science world. They just call him Eeyore and everybody knows who they're talking about. Eeyore showed up at the science party yesterday and it was the worst. He... He told us how the world was going to melt, and then he went back to his house made out of sticks and lost his tail, <laughs> and we had to go find we it. Had to, we had to nail his tail on again. <laughs> you'd, think, Dude. you'd think a scientist could figure out a better way to do this other than just, you know, taking a thumbtack and 
putting it back on, but that's the way we decided to do it, and it keeps on falling off. So. Everyone makes fun of Eeyore about why he was so depressed all the time. He lived yeah, in a house made out of sticks. Yeah, maybe it's because they all made fun of him, and he lived in a house made of sticks. <laughs> he lived in a house made of sticks. At least the rest rabbit. of them lived in houses. Well, Rabbit lived under a tree in, a, in like, a they, hole. They all lived in, like, a, but it was a, a house made out of a tree. Al lived in a tree house. Rabbit lived in a house under a tree. And Eeyore lives in the shanty town. He lives in the shanty town. Eeyore lives in a twig-made lean-to that blows over at the slightest breeze and has it through the ceiling because it's just sticks like just next to one another. Like there's not even any like mortar or anything. What do they expect this this Eeyore to do? He doesn't have thumbs. He doesn't. He's he's a donkey who lives in a stick house and. Has a tail that's nailed to his bottom. Like, someone has to come up and nail a tail to him. He is in pain. He's got a nail into his back. He's just getting rained on in his houses. We keep calling it a house. It's not a house. It's a shanty. (laughs) It's a pile of sticks. It's a lean-to. It's It's not a – it isn't a shelter that would get you to pass any Boy Scout or Cub Scout, like, level. No. Bear like Grylls would, in like 10 minutes makes far better shelters than that. So the real travesty is that no one lets Eeyore live with them. Maybe he smells bad. He is a donkey. No one helps him with shelter building. And whenever he needs help, everyone complains and then nails his tail to him. <laughs> Sounds like a pretty great group of friends. Yeah, no, no. That, the Hundred Acre Wood was full of a bunch of jerks. It's a lot Christopher like Robin's Sesame. a human being. He's a human being. He comes inside and goes, yeah, this is fine. The donkey lives in a stick shanty well, in everybody else's house. He is a child. It is an awful lot like Sesame Street in that there's somebody who lives in a garbage can. Everybody's like, what's wrong with you, garbage can guy? You're disgusting. Yeah. Whoa. Uh, he lives in a garbage can. Maybe you should help him because he's yeah. living in garbage. Instead of just like pointing your fingers at him and saying, figure it out, garbage guy. If you give him a shower, give him a suit, <laughs> give him polish a suit. Your shoes for him. Give him some soup. If you pass by a homeless person <laughs> and make soup. fun of him, if you make yeah. fun of a homeless person being depressed, do his face. You're the worst person in the world. But we let Christopher Robin do it all the time. Oh, ER, get over it, he said. And Mr. Hooper. Mr. Hooper was not nice to Oscar or Maria. No, of course not. Maria, retired, guys. She's retired. I don't know if you guys read that in the news. Yeah. Well, she does remind me of the West Side Story, so. Yeah. <laughs> That's a reference. That's a good reference. <laughs> oh, All my right. gosh. There's so many levels. Okay. Now that we've talked about Sesame Street and Winnie the Pooh. And Eeyore and climate change, we are going to – transition into basketball talk would you like to do on the kivu podcast isn't this great though that we're having the kivu podcast this week and no one on this podcast currently is employed by kivu i think that's awesome i never even worked for kivu i i jetted before, <laughs> i jetted before they even moved over unfortunately that's true so this, I just is, this is i just experienced awesome. life under the uh, canicut colorado umbrella yeah. yeah 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 this is great uh so speaking of great the Golden State Warriors are unbeatable. They are, they are incredible. Were they? I think they're twenty-two and zero as of today. Today is December seventh. Twenty-two and zero. 
There's never been an NBA team start a season with 22 straight wins. They last night or two nights ago, I watched them play the Raptors, and that was a really, really good game. And I thought the Raptors would get them, and then they beat the Raptors. Then last night, the Nets should or could have beaten them. Nope, they came back and beat the Nets. They like you look at their schedule, and you're like, well, actually, they could probably string out about seven, eight more wins before anybody even challenges them. It's don't don't they play the Pacers in the next couple of days? I, I don't yeah, I don't know yeah, exactly, yeah. but I, I remember they looking at the schedule. Tomorrow. Yeah, I remember yeah. looking at the schedule so, earlier today. So maybe you could see the Pacers beating them because Paul George is having a great season. He's, He's going like off. like Steph Curry is definitely the best player in the NBA at this point in time. I don't think that's questionable. But as far as like the combination of playing great defense and playing great offense is concerned. Like Paul yeah. George is doing it incredibly well. Like probably the best two-way player in the, in the NBA right now. So that'll be a yeah. good game. But I don't know how much it matters because the rest of the Warriors like have to have an off night. Like every single guy on the Warriors seemingly has to have an off night because Draymond Green's incredible. Andre Iguodala yeah. is probably the most forgotten about guy on that team. And he's an Olympic basketball player who is in the NBA finals MVP. <laughs> yeah. He is incredible. Um, you've got like guys like Festus Azeli, who nobody knows who he is. And he comes off the bench and he's great. He's great. Yeah. Like on every other team, almost in the NBA, he's probably starting. Well, and then they go small. It'll be like a random lull in the third quarter where all of a sudden they sub everyone out and put Draymond Green at the at center, and he's six yeah. foot eight. And then they play basically four guards in him, and no one can for some for some reason nobody can adapt to that because Draymond Green is so long and is able to play so quickly. And it just it that just brutalizes team. I saw they were like yeah like plus one hundred and twenty with that lineup or something insane. Like it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's out of this world what they're able to do. And their head coach lost in all this. Their head coach hasn't even coached them one game this entire year. Cause he's injured. Yeah. With like the, guy acting as their head, the guy acting as their head coach grew up in a house where his dad was dropping acid and listening to the grateful dead and just like talking about nothing. Bill Walton is an American to, hero. It, and it I will not be, like Luke Walton turned out to be seemingly a well-adjusted human being which is incredible because Bill Walton is nuts. Bill Walton's an American treasure. I think he's super fun to listen to when he calls a game. He won't talk about the game. He'll talk no. about anything but the game. Yeah, I'll talk about but, China. We were, they were in China a couple of weeks ago. The Pac-12 was, Pac was in China playing a couple of games, and he was commentating. I remember listening to one of the games. He didn't talk about the game at all. He talked about how great China was for like yeah, the entire well, – like being paid by the Chinese. <laughs> Like he did talk about stuff that was probably a little controversial. Like I'm pretty sure he was talking somewhat glowingly about Mao, which is not <laughs> something you really want to do since he's kind of responsible for you know, the deaths and oppression of a lot of people. Like he wasn't, you know, like some yeah. like benevolent dictator. He like, he murdered a lot of people. Yeah. And the, the commentary was sounded like, like uh, it was like, and uh, two points for UCLA. You know what the greatest thing about China is, is that you can own a car 
and you can own a house. And there's there are more people living in this apartment complex next door to the stadium than there are in the city of Sacramento. Two points for Sanford. <laughs> why, like, that that how, like, why is that a great thing? No. No. It's not that great. How They're piling that? people on top of each other, and it's fantastic. For those of you <laughs> listening to the podcast, Bill Walton did not just walk into the room. That was actually me doing a spot yes. on I know, it sounded, I know it sounded exactly like Bill Walton, <laughs> um, but it wasn't Bill Walton. That was just me. Sorry, guys. I'm, I'm pretty good at this improv Bill Walton impersonation. Really great impressions. <laughs> Didn't even plan it. That wasn't even no. in, in the planning meeting. Bill Walton. Yeah, so uh, speaking of Bill Walton, my brother and I have a hilarious Bill Walton thing. Anytime that I make like a, because I'm prone to do this sometimes, I make a either hasty generalization or a, a hasty superlative. Like such and such is the greatest I've ever eaten, seen, slept, like whatever. My brother will call me Bill Walton. And then both of us will do Bill Walton. Because we watched a game, I, like it was like, this is such an old reference. We watched a game in college that Robert Ory was playing in. And Bill Walton was calling the game. It was an NBA game. And Robert Ory threw a pass to, I think he was playing with the Lakers at this point. Maybe it was the Spurs. Who did he play? He played with the Spurs after the Lakers? Yeah. So he played with the Spurs. He threw a pass into Tim Duncan. Just an entry to post pass that people make a million times in a game. Bill Walton said, Robert Ory is the greatest entry to post passer in the history of basketball. I didn't realize that Which, was a metric we were, we were keeping. No. Plus, is that, is that quantifiable? No, it's not quantifiable. And no one has ever thought, man, you know, this one guy is so good at passing the ball to this other position. Just like one spot. This he only is great at passing inbounds from the baseline to the four or five. That's it. So when I'll say something like, Mom, this is the best – cake or pie or whatever I've ever had in my entire life. My brother will go, Robert Ory is the greatest entry to post passer in the history of basketball. <laughs> but like he'll, Walton will go even more preposterous. He'll say things like, right now 10 seconds left, the fate of Western civilization hanging in the balance. What? Wait a minute. Whoever wins this game decides who rules the world? They become the kings. Yeah. A group if of the, kings. I think he thinks the Sacramento Kings are actual kings who play together against other NBA teams randomly. Well, you know, Bibby was a pretty royal kind of guy. Back King in the day. Mike Bibby, sir, his royal highness, Chris Webber. <laughs> <laughs> the Sultan, yeah. uh, DeMarcus Cousins. Yeah, Sultan Cousins. Sultan no, not, Cousins? Not, yeah. Oh my gosh. I'll tell you what though, man, what's, what's getting lost in the mix with the Warriors playing so great is that the Spurs are Spurs, so, yeah, they're playing awesome. The Spurs. It's incredible. They're playing great basketball. The transition for them with a new focus has been seamless. They and have, I mean, LaMarcus Aldridge is like a legit all-star, like really yeah. good. And they brought him in, and the thought that I had was that it was going to take at least half a season for them to get him to play Spurs basketball because he is a 
he's a more traditional spot up, give me the ball in my spot and I'm going to back him down kind of guy. That's where he takes a lot of shots traditionally, but he's come in and it's just like no big deal. Like, Oh yeah, I'm just a Spurs player now. Like, no, no. I, the last eight years of my career didn't occur. I didn't build any tendencies. I'm just this guy now. Marcus Aldridge would be if Robert Ori was giving him the ball into the post. Oh, he'd be the best player of all time. <laughs> the greatest if player he, if, every time he caught a pass, if every time he caught a pass, <laughs> it was a Robert Ori inbound. Play. Oh man. It would just be it would be a dunk every time. Hundred percent like alley oop every single time. Just on Dwight Howard. It'd be incredible. It'd be unstoppable. It'd be the best ever. Of Dwight Howard. That brings me to the other point. Another thing lost in the shuffle is that the West in general, other than the Warriors, the Spurs, and even the little Mavericks, they're playing pretty well. They're not is as that the rest, maybe the rest of the West is terrible. Yeah. Like the, what happened to the Thunder? The Thunder are very good. The, we know what happened to the Blazers. You know, they lost their best player. Um, the Clippers. They lost their like, four best. They lost their yeah, three best players. Yeah. Some would say the Clippers look like they've never played together. Yeah. Like at I all. hate, man. I hate watching the Clippers play. It's my least watching the Clippers play is a chore. Like, so I've seen them play weird. twice now, and I can't stand it. It's like they don't have a plan. I well, I saw them play the Nuggets. I went to the, the the Nuggets game when they were here in Denver a few weeks ago, and it was terrible. Like my wife who is not a huge basketball fan, like traditionally, like she grew up watching football in Oklahoma, has started to watch a fair amount of basketball with me. And we were at this Nuggets game with some great players on the court. Young, great Emmanuel Moutier. He's going to be a really good player. The Nuggets look had, really fun, are fun to watch. Yeah, like they're, 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 they're an okay team to watch. They're still frustrating because they do stuff that's really stupid because they don't know what they're doing yet. But they, they can be really fun. But then she was like super disappointed in the Clippers because she was like, I thought these guys were supposed to be good. This is terrible basketball. Like what is going on with them? Chris Paul was healthy. Griffin was on the court. DeAndre Jordan was out there who I think he's overpaid, but he's still a good player. And they looked so disjointed. They have guys on their team that are legitimately good basketball players. And last year, looked like really good basketball players together until the playoffs. And we then since this. the playoffs last year, yeah. they've not looked good at all. They've looked like they are maybe a seven seed. It's been bad. Cole and I on this podcast went down their bench before the season started. And I was like, this is the best team on paper in basketball. Like yeah. the Clippers bench Jamal, is a Jamal, Crawford, Jamal Crawford is one of my favorite players in the NBA. And – when he, like for whatever reason this year, like they can't use him. Last year they used him really well. He looked great last year, and now it's like, oh my gosh, this is yeah. terrible. It's like I tried to paint the mo- like the Mona Lisa with. They mud. have Jamal Crawford. They have Lance Stevenson, who's been terrible. They have Josh Smith, who's been terrible, and they have Paul Pierce, who's been terrible. Yeah, they have four guys who would start for a lot of squads who have all been really bad. Yeah. And yeah, but what makes me hate the Clippers so much, or hate watching them at least, is I really, as a coach and as a player, and as a guy who's watched basketball his whole life, I hate teams that just complain to the referees the entire oh, game. The Clippers complain to the referees so much that even like commentators 
on the game will go, well, they have been they're kind of known around the league as a team that gets on the referees. That what? And then like their coach, Doc Rivers, has even said, we've got to chirp less to the referees. But he's yeah, the coach. He's the coach who does it more, more than any other coach. Yeah. He's the one who's on the referees. He's always whining. Well, that's the thing is like, and when it's a guy like Jeff Van Gundy saying stuff like that, who cares? Because Jeff Van Gundy is insane. Like he, <laughs> like he is always talking about just ridiculous stuff. Like if, like he basically wants to be elected as the commissioner of yeah. the NBA, I think. And that's what he's always doing when he is announcing a game. Just talking Except about he's constantly changing the rules. Change, yeah. He's talking about how he would change everything about the game. Oh no. Too many hand checks. Oh no! They should extend the like the. He said that we. Have oh, like they a should. Five they, <laughs> what? Yeah. He's like, oh, they're so good. Steph Curry's so good at three pointers. They should make a five pointer that's uh, you know, like three quarters of the way down the court. That'd be great. No, that'd be a stupid idea. That this is, is like so the dumb. random guys I went to college with at Auburn who didn't like the NBA because they're from Alabama, and there are a lot of cultural and other reasons why people from Alabama don't like the NBA, but they didn't like the NBA. And they would say things like, those guys are so good at dunk and they should just make the goal 12 feet. Then I would probably watch. No, you wouldn't be women's basketball. It would be terrible. Like, you would be a bunch of layups. Because I hate seeing people dunk. Because that's the most boring part of the game. (laughs) Too much dunking in this game. This game would be a lot better if people couldn't jump as high or be as fast or as cool in doing stuff. We should make them wear lead in their shoes. (laughs) Just instead of, like, soles, you just – Put a big old like eight pound, you know, slab of lead on the bottom of each one of their feet. See how they play then. Yeah. Yeah, they look a not they look an awful lot like me, which is not fun to watch. If you oh, love this, this bas- is basketball, go watch college basketball. That's no, why we have college no, no, basketball. No. They want to watch middle school basketball because that's the last right. time they played. They say right. if this guy dribbles too well, he needs to be handicapped. Tape his fingers together. Like, then he'll look like a middle school basketball player. How come they aren't running the Princeton offense? It's 112 (laughs) to 110. Was there no defense in this game? No, it's because those dudes can play. They're really good at scoring basketball. Like, like, they're not getting paid millions because they're good at defense. For the most part, they're getting paid millions to score the ball. That's why there's so many points. There are guys in the league who play D. And, I mean, the defense is really hard. I always, I always like, you know how badly an NBA team would beat, like, the best college team? And it wouldn't necessarily be because they would just score a ton of points on them. It would be because the college team wouldn't yeah. score. Yep. The NBA guys are so much faster and know the game so well, they wouldn't score. That's yeah, just the way take, it is. Those guys are good at defense. You take the Kentucky and Duke teams from the last couple of years that have, you know, five NBA players at least on the roster – year if not more and you look at all of them in the nba their first and second years and they look like rookies they make yeah. tons of mistakes they get schooled by guys who are just like 12-year vets who just play smart like they're not even more athletic but they're like old and they're experienced and they know what they're doing and they're not teenagers and they get whipped yeah they'll look more talented but they don't know how to play the game yet. Like and when the, US, when the U.S. beats teams in international competitions, it's not usually because we're better at basketball scoring basketball than they are. 
nine times out of ten, it's because we don't let the other team score. Like it's just yeah. it's just so hard to score on Team USA because the guys are so good at athletic, so athletic. So if, if that's the case, then imagine how much better these guys are at, at scoring than you even think they are because the other guy defending them is so good at defending. Yeah, which brings us back to Steph Curry, who is six foot three. So he's, you know, like an okay sized point guard who can get a shot off against six foot eight two guards, like no problem. Like he like people say this all the time. They talk about playing in a phone booth. Like, oh, he can get a shot off in a phone booth. That like Steph Curry really can. Oh, he yeah. has zero space and he can shoot over almost anybody. Like that, like he shoots with so much arc on the ball anyway that like it doesn't really matter. And that was another thing that was great about guys like Reggie Miller because he grew up playing against his older sister who would just swat the junk out of the ball every yeah. single time he tried to take a shot when he was a kid. So he had to learn how to shoot the ball with a ton of arc on it. Had to have a high release point. And that's what Steph Curry does. Surprise, surprise, two of the three best three-point shooters of all time. What makes Steph Curry so amazing to me is how quickly he gets the shot off. Oh, it's it's yeah, he's – He's like a gun shooter, like in so like, like, like in Gunsmoke or something like that. He's like he is Val Kilmer from um, uh, what's the name of the movie that I'm thinking of right now? I'm blanking right now. Tombstone. Yeah, Tombstone. He's Val Kilmer from Tombstone. Like he is so fast. Like there are other people who look like they have quick releases, and Steph Curry makes them look stupid. Like he oh, yeah, makes them like, look so slow. We've talked about quick releases, or we by we I mean like people who watch sports. With quarterbacks and like Dan Marino, everybody talks about Dan Marino. Uh-huh. He's got the quickest release of all time. Blah blah blah. Steph Curry's basketball shooting release is so fast that if you tried to replicate it, you would shoot the ball over the basket. Yeah, you'd look like dumb. It, it's an impossible. It's an impossible speed to shoot accurately that quickly, and he can do it. And which, because of that, he can get his shot off off the dribble so quick. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how tall the guy guarding him is because the guy guarding him can't react fast enough to even get a hand up because Steph Curry shots already out of his, out of his hand. Yeah, Ball's already even, there. He doesn't even let the ball set in his hand before he yeah. shoots. Like it hits his hand and he's already in a shooting motion. He just knows where exactly the ball is. He, like he, like I can't, explain and the thing is, what he does. there are so many people who like on commentating and stuff are like. Uh, man, kids are going to be watching Steph Curry, and they're like, man, anybody can play because he's not very tall or whatever. No, his dad played in the NBA, so he yeah. shot baskets his whole life. You cannot, unless you get up every day and shoot a thousand threes, yeah. you're not going to catch up. He's already he's already shot more threes than you have at this point in your life. I don't care how old you are. You could be six. Steph probably has already taken more threes when he was six than you did when you were six. Yeah. Like, you've got – he – is so well practiced, so well rehearsed that it's all just muscle memory. His shot can get off. He could shoot in the dark if he wanted to and probably make 50%. You'd have to see the basket. And that was, it kind of gets to Kobe because we can talk about Kobe retiring and all that stuff. But one of the clips, Steph Curry talked about Kobe Bryant and said one of the things that he remembers this shot from the 98 finals or whatever it was, mm-hmm. one of Kobe's first finals with the, with the Lakers, where Kobe – there was a couple seconds left in the game, and Kobe dribbles the ball right, and he gets the ball on the inbound. Sorry, he gets the ball on the inbounds and dribbles 
on a sideline out of bounds. And he gets the ball at the top of the key and he dribbles right. And there's like times clicking off and he dribbles to the right elbow, stops, pulls up and shoots. But at no point does he look at the basket or the shot clock. He knows before he gets the ball how much time is left, where to go, and what the, how far away he is from the basket at that spot on the court. He yep. doesn't even have to see the basket. He and practiced of course, it 100,000 times, that exact thing. So, like, the guys are like, man, these guys are genetic freaks. It's easy to play basketball when you're that. No, I'm sorry, dog. Kobe Bryant is – insane we've never including michael jordan we've never seen anybody who practiced as much as kobe bryant practices and works out as much as kobe bryant kobe bryant is probably the single reason why lebron james has two championships because it wasn't until the olympics in 08 that lebron was like whoa 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 whoa. this is how hard this guy works out i gotta start working out more i gotta start lifting more i gotta start doing training and stuff more. And so that's and, what made and, LeBron. And so MJ fun. wasn't working out. Like nobody lifted weights. <laughs> back lift weights can, you, can you imagine what MJ would have looked like if he, he had started lifting weights when he was in high school? Like he didn't start yeah. until after he got his rear end whipped by the Pistons. Yeah. Uh, what was that in like, uh, like 89? 88. Yeah, 88. 89. Yeah. So like he just got beat up by the Pistons. And then finally he was like, Hey, I need to be a little bit thicker. So we started like bench pressing a little bit and doing some curls. Yeah. Like, oh my goodness. Like that's crazy. Like that today cannot happen. Kids are working out in middle school, like lifting weights. And professional so athletes do- are lifting weights and doing so many more exercises than just to, to exist. Even the guy like yeah. last guy in the bench help. is working out constantly. Yeah, just to stay healthy. Like one of my favorite stories oh, of uh, like, so I went to Auburn, and we had a running back named Ben Tate who was awesome in college, and went and played for the Houston Texans for a while, and then he played for the Cleveland Browns and a couple other teams. And now I think he's out of the league. But, I think he's still a backup. Um, or he was last year. I think he's out of the league this year. I think it's his first year that he's washed out, but. His second year in Houston, he was backing up Arian Foster. And he was like one of the first NFL players to really embrace Twitter and Facebook and stuff because he was like tweeting constantly. Like he was all over it, interacting with his fans and giving out free stuff and whatever. And this was back in like 09, 2010. And some CrossFit guy, it's like the early days of CrossFit, 2010, 2011. Some CrossFit guy was like, I bet you pampered NFL guys couldn't even last 20 minutes at a CrossFit workout. <laughs> and Ben Tate was like, I don't know what CrossFit is, dog, but I'll do it. And so this was this was 2012 because it was during the lockout. So during the NFL lockout, Ben Tate goes to this guy's CrossFit box. Down in his local box. Just, and just throwing <laughs> tires across a room. Apparently, he wears this dude out so bad at this CrossFit workout that then, when it's done, Ben Tate asks him what the circuit was they just did and then does it again. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh, that was a pretty good workout, I guess. I'm going to go do that workout you just did again, and then I'll be good. Like, that's yeah. – you guys don't have a clue what we do in the real world. 
of professional sports. Yeah. People like, okay. So CrossFit's been great for people like getting to work out because, you know, provide structure and it makes people feel like they're doing something that's not just, you know, throwing stuff around in, you know, 24 hour fitness because that's not fun. Like it's pretty, it's pretty terrible to be by yourself. Yeah. And, and like, and then you have, you know, the CrossFit superheroes who, you know, proselytize for CrossFit and think that because they learned how to do a couple of Olympic lifts, they are now in the Olympics. They think they're <laughs> Olympic athletes because they learned how to do some squats and, and they just don't know. Like they're still not genetically gifted. They're still not working out the way these other guys are. They, they work out for a living. Oh yeah. Can you imagine getting paid on top of genetics, 11, like on yeah, top of being like, better yeah. than genetics. They're already, you know, six foot five and incredibly athletic without anything else. They still would be an incredible athlete, but then they work out for a living and you're not telling me that you're going to be, ever be anything like them. I'm Some guy wrote about how the guy who won the CrossFit games, uh, like he's won like three straight CrossFit games. Yeah, but he's, he's jacked. And some guy on Facebook, I saw, I can't remember who it was, was like, Man, this guy would, would could play whatever sport he wanted. No, he couldn't. Foosball. <laughs> he's he's really know, good at working out. Ping like, pong. That's what he is. He found yeah. we found out who the best at working out was, and it's this guy. Well, but that doesn't mean at, that he could go play a professional yeah. sport. The best at working out that isn't a professional athlete. Right. So the best amateur workouter. Because I bet like JJ Watt could probably tear that dude apart in a workout. Like it's just that's what yeah. that guy well, does. If, if they trained to do the exercises that the CrossFit games are doing, then they would destroy it. Yeah. Also. Okay. We got to move. We got to move. We've, yeah. we've, we got to move on to this podcast. Okay. So next we got to do, I'm going to, cause you don't do Instagram. Jip doesn't do Instagram. I'm going to give everybody. Other... Fun, I'll tell you about a funny picture I saw though. Okay. Go for it. <laughs> so I saw a picture on, I think it was Reddit or Facebook. I don't know. They're both a waste of time. So I saw a picture of a line of puppies. There are little Malamute puppies. And the, uh, the one on the furthest left, there was like six of them, was like, you know, like black almost. All of its markings were black. And then each successive one down the line had lighter and lighter markings. And then at the, the one at the very end on the right looked like a little polar bear. And it said, this is how you know when your printer is running out of toner. It was really cute. That's great. I thought for I was really worried it was a really racist joke. But, and then and then this guy was like, "Make America great again," blah blah blah. Yeah. So, a uh, really cute picture. That's about the only use I have for uh, for the oh, internet. I follow at least five Instagram accounts that just post pictures of puppies every single day. Oh, cute emergency was like my favorite thing on Twitter when I still tweet. I follow a Rottweiler puppies every single day Instagram account. I follow a Bernie's Mountain Dog every single day. Uh, I follow one that's just like baby animals. Okay, like baby baby ducks are pretty cute. <laughs> baby animals are cute, man. I'm I'm not afraid to say that. I saw a video of a baby rhinoceros yesterday. So cute. Okay. <laughs> All right. So the Instagram account I'm giving to the Kivu Podcast listeners is old slam ads o-l-d-s-l-a-m-a-d-s all one word you who are about my age which i turned 30 years old on saturday which is gross completely blowing my mind 
But there was a magazine when I was a young, there's, I think it's still out, but when I was a kid, Slam, Slam Magazine was the best basketball piece of literature magazine. you could possibly pick up. The best piece of basketball. <laughs> best piece of basketball magazines. It was like Alan Iverson was on the cover. It was like the magazine for those of us who didn't want to read old white guys talk about basketball. This was the this was the magazine. So like the commercials in it were all geared towards that more urban, more like hip hop listening audience. Basketball so for people that didn't wear fedoras. Right. So they're awesome. So like this Instagram account has like pictures of old Stefan Marbury and one ads, which are hilarious to look at now. Like, oh my gosh. Remember when everyone wore gigantic shirts and gigantic pants? And like now yeah. you look at a picture of Alan Iverson from 10 years ago. He looks hilarious. And he looks he looks like a midget or someone who's clothes who has shrunk in wearing normal his dad's clothes. clothes. Yeah. He's just wearing his dad's clothes. <laughs> but when I was a kid, it was like, yeah, man, that's what you gotta do. You gotta wear giant jeans that like hide all of your sneakers. Then you gotta wear a giant t-shirt and like a bandana on your head. Everything has to be like floppy. Your shirt, your bandana, your jeans, your shoelaces, everything has to be kind of like flopping around. So like if you were to have to run, you would trip over all of your articles of clothing and just yeah. fall face first on the asphalt. So that's if you guys want to take a blast to the hip hop past, old slam ads is where you want to be. Okay. Well, the reason people dressed like that, Drew, is because they wanted to be able to bring their tent with them in case they needed to camp out. So you just, you know, have extra cloth all over your body so that you can just hang it over a tree and sleep under it. Right. Basketball shorts double as a Coleman sleeper tent, single person backpacking tent. Two season. So I quick transition in from Instagram into movies. Jim and I have both recently seen the Spectre, the new James Bond thriller. And I am a I'm not gonna say I'm a gigantic James Bond fan, so I don't like I'm not one of those guys who knows, oh, this is the only time in any of the James Bond movies that blah 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 blah, or this is the fifth time he's been on skis since for much of it, I don't keep track of the minutia that well. I've seen all the movies. Oh, so you're not insane. I'm not insane. I've seen all the movies at least once. I have favorites and I have least favorites. I'll sit down and I have some that I probably won't ever watch again. Of you to a kill. Yeah, hashtag of you to a kill, which is so bad. The worst Bond villain ever. He just looks like he lived in LA and had a bad dye job and they're like, this guy looks like an idiot. We should have him in this movie. Any Timothy Dalton movie, some people love them. I hated them. I think they're so like slow. Them. They're so slow. And that's the thing. So recently, I went back and watched Goldfinger and Dr. No. And what I had forgotten, and Thunderball. Thunderball is the longest movie ever made. Oh, yeah. It's somehow only two hours and 20 minutes long. It's two hours and 20 minutes, but the whole time you're watching, you're like, this is my whole life. I've been watching this movie. Yeah. It feels like you're they watching, have, uh, uh, you know, Dr. Zhivago or something like that. Some sort of like Russian literature. Entire sections of the movie that are like a minute long shot of Sean Connery just walking through a hotel lobby. 
it's, just like, it's just security footage. <laughs> Why does this have to be real time? Like, this doesn't have to be real time. We could this movie we could, took click, click, click. over the course of four days, and <laughs> it's an entire four days long. That, like, it's just it's it's hilarious now because of how quick the movies are edited. Now it's like bam, 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 bam. We're almost like whoa, whoa, what just happened? Whereas back in the 60s, it was like, no, you just film the whole stinking thing, and then we'll just put it all on the screen. Yeah. Which probably because everyone was drunk. Like, everyone. <laughs> I was going to put, put another scene because everybody likes to see him walk around because he's got a nice suit on. Everyone's so just, drunk and British, and they're just filming stuff. They're getting paid too much money. They don't care. They're just going to put it whatever it comes up. They know they got Sean Connery, and it looks cool. I do have a good theory on this. This is... I think this is a broader issue with old movies that I kind of appreciate is it's much closer historically to stage productions when things did take longer and you didn't have to have a ton of action and things were much more um, driven by, you know, um, character expression and things moved through the character rather than through the scene and the things surrounding the character. So when they do that kind of stuff, then I don't think anybody would have noticed it. But because of what we're used to today, it feels like it is just ridiculous. And like their pacing is just awful. It's like, oh my goodness, did this person never see a movie before? Do they not know that this is a massive waste of time and we're learning nothing as a result of it? But back then, that's just how you did it. So it didn't seem like a waste of time because that's just how it was. And now... If you were to have three minutes of James Bond driving a car to like where he was like not even a chase, yeah. just him driving a car to the next location of the movie. He's looking go, suave. What is going on? <laughs> I'm watching a man drive. But yeah. back then it was like, oh yeah, like in Thunderball, they literally have a woman giving him directions and then him doing those <laughs> he goes and does them. Yeah. And you see both. Whereas if they were to do that now, people would go, this is, the sl- this is insane. Why is this so slow? Just cut this movie. Yeah, it's, it's – I love James Bond movies, but yeah, going back. And then not to mention just the rampant sexism of the oh early James Bond franchise. Yeah. Well, let's, let's jump into uh, Her Majesty's Secret Service. Because right. I love literally this movie. the first scene of the movie is James driving down a road for no reason whatsoever. We have no understanding of why he's just driving around, kind of following. Uh, he's in his Aston Martin DBS, I believe. And she's in, I think, a, Merc- a Mercury Cougar. Beautiful cars. Um, especially for the late 60s, when a lot of cars, like sports cars, weren't that awesome. Um, you had, I mean, obviously, muscle cars were great at that point in time. You had a lot of really cool um, Italian cars. But as far as non-muscle um, American cars, and British sports cars at that point in time, it was kind of in a little bit of a dark age. Um, you no longer had like the 50s Bel Airs. You no longer had some really cool, you know, Austin Healy's, NASA Martin. This was they, 1969, 1970. Yeah, this came out in 69, and it was filmed in 67, 68. Um, and so, you, uh, you know, they're pretty cool cars. And so, for no reason, he's following her. She gets out of her car and is walking down the beach. And he's just like staring at her through the sights of a rifle scope for no right. reason. He's just like, Hey, she looks interesting. So I'll watch her. 
she just starts walking into the ocean in her dress, like leaves her shoes on the beach, and he goes to save her from killing herself. I want to know how he knew she was going to kill herself because she's just standing in the ocean. And why would he go save this person who just is standing in the ocean? There's zero understanding of what she's doing. Maybe she just wants to swim because it's cathartic for her because right. she, you know, just likes to swim in the ocean. Instead, he goes and saves her. And when he saves her, he just like picks her up. She passes out, brings her back onto shore. She is splayed out in his arms, legs askew, arms to the side, passed out in his arms, just because she couldn't take the stress of the, the situation. That is insane. If you had that happen today, it would make no sense whatsoever. Right. People would laugh you out of the room if you said that's how a human being would ever act. Oh, I was in a stressful situation, so I just passed out. Then he looks in the camera later that scene. For some reason, he says, this never happened to the other guy. Directly referencing that he's not Sean Connery, which is just preposterous, like breaking the fourth wall. Like he, oh, yeah. he lets us know that this guy knows this I'm is not a Sean movie. Connery. Like what, By the way, what's happening? I'm not Why Sean is that Connery. line there? If you hadn't yeah. noticed that, I'm not Sean Connery. I'm George Lazenby. Yeah, this and is then, a, it's a And then I don't movie. know if you noticed that later on, um, when, uh, when James has been like kidnapped by yeah. um, this crime syndicate father Spectre. of, no, no, not Spectre, not Blofeld. Oh, not Blofeld, yeah, the, the yeah, mafia guy. By the girl's dad. Like yeah. his henchmen come and find James. Um, and as they're walking into uh, this like mafia boss's office there's a janitor whistling the theme to goldfinger yeah that's which true i thought was hilarious that is true i thought that's it was so, so funny that, okay so like that movie when i was a kid i hated it and i think the reason i hated it was because i didn't like george lazenby yeah because he wasn't basically because he wasn't sean connery and i didn't like the fact that james bond got married and then she dies yeah. spoiler alert for a movie that came out 50 years ago. Yeah, apologies. But, like, looking back now, I watched it last week, and I was like, this movie's actually really, really good. Like, yeah. acting-wise, George Lazenby is terrible. Uh, but, Tully yeah, Savalas is awesome. He's not, he's not great, but he's not awful. But, like it's so much faster. Movies. Like, it's actually edited well, as opposed to Thunderball and Goldfinger. It doesn't, it doesn't drag like those movies did. It actually, like, the ski sequence at the end, the act, one of the better action sequences of any Bond movie, and it had to have been like insane to nineteen sixty nine, nineteen seventy audience. But yeah, people didn't. I guess people didn't like it because he was too bizarre as James Bond because he was just he was a male model. He wasn't even an actor, and they hired him yeah. to be James Bond. Well, because he's not that good of an actor. Another funny thing that happened in this time period in filming was like the sped up fight scenes so they yeah. would film it like and would just, yeah and then they would speed it up basically and so they look insane i have it's no fast idea. forward yeah i have no idea why they decided to film stuff that way but it makes it really jerky like anytime anybody fights anybody else they look like they're having spasms because it's yeah. just unusual and so that today kind of brings me out of the action scenes a little bit 
because you just have to laugh at it. Um, so I heard on a different podcast, which is the James Bonding podcast, which if you guys like James Bond, this is a funny podcast to listen to about James Bond. It's not a serious or clean podcast. It's just a funny podcast. They were talking about how they filmed the ski scenes by having an Olympic skier ski backwards with a camera between his legs. He filmed some of the ski scenes, which is amazing to me how I got that footage. Yeah. And then the other way they, the other way they filmed it, they hung a cameraman from a helicopter with like a parachute behind him to slow him to slow him down so that he wouldn't be jerking. Studying, yeah. And then with the camera, like holding the camera, that's also awesome for that time period. So this is like just that action sequence there towards the end of the movie is really cool. But what I liked about Spectre, the film that I saw the other day, is that it kind of like goes back to the old James Bond formula of he goes and sees him, then he gets kind of a mission, and then he goes and finds, you know, the bad guy who has some crazy lair in the mountains or something, and then Mm -hmm. he... I don't want to spoil Spectre, but like that's it feels like an old James Bond movie that was done in 2015. It felt very to- it felt very intentional. Um, a lot of people were annoyed, I think, that it wasn't, you know, maybe as groundbreaking as Casino Royale was. But you know, the previous movies Dino Craig had done, I think, were supposed to be an attempt to um, change the way the movies worked. It was supposed to make them a little bit more serious. You're supposed to see why James Bond is this kind of hard-hearted, calloused man who uses people and doesn't really have, um, a, a, you know, apparently any emotional baggage from the fact that every single woman he comes into contact with, he sleeps dies. with and then she dies. So he's taking right. advantage of them. Um, he's leading a very immoral lifestyle. They just, everybody dies around him. And he's like, well, mm, too bad. Carry on. <laughs> Like, so, you know, that's kind of why he is the way he is. We see that in Casino Royale. And then, um, you know, we see a lot of his story arc. We see him become 007, um, earn his license to kill, all this kind of stuff. And then this one, they'd brought him to this point where he'd had so much heartache and so much trouble that you see him in a more traditional Bond film again. Yeah. He is who the traditional Sean Connery Bond character um, like he is that person now. Like he is supposed to be conflated with Roger Moore and Sean Connery at this point in time. It's no longer a developmental story arc. He is who he is, um, which I'm not going to spoil the end of Spectre, but you do see a little bit of uh, a development past that point at the end of Spectre, which I thought was cool. The thing um, is, if he's – a lot of people think that James Bond is kind of the British version of Batman and that he's a regular – he doesn't have superpowers – yeah. He's just super rich and has super fancy cars. He has super uh, resistance to sexually transmitted diseases. Right. That's his superpower. But if that's the case, then these Daniel Craig movies are definitely the Dark Knight trilogy of the James Bond series. Yeah. What stinks yeah. about this is that I believe this is his last movie. Supposedly, this is he doesn't want to do any more but I've heard so, trying to get him to come back for another. They've gotten the character, they rebooted the whole series with Skyfall, Quantum of Solace, and uh, Casino Royale. Yeah. Which Casino Royale is amazing. So good. So they rebooted the series, and now we've gotten to Spectre, 
But now we're kind of in the he gets missions and he goes and does them. And now he's going to leave and we're going to have to get a new James Bond to do missions and go and do – like I feel like they don't need to re- – with where they get a new James Bond, they don't need to reboot the whole series again because they just did that. But at the same time, if it's some other guy, they're going to want to do some sort of rebooting of the series. So, Yeah, I mean you wonder what they're going to be able to do next because – you know, the same problem has come into play with, you brought up Batman, um, yeah. with Christopher Nolan's Batman movies. They were so divergent from what we had in the 90s with, um, you know, the Tim Burton movies and then, you know, the terrible stuff that George Clooney did. Um, that wasn't George Clooney's fault, though, but that was... It wasn't his fault, but it was the worst comic book put, movie ever. And I'm, I'm including Spider-Man 3 in this conversation right now. The Clooney Batman was the worst comic book movie ever like i would include yeah 100 percent correct which was an epic failure considered to be a failure a failure before they even opened the doors so like i they've rebooted um superman um they've they rebooted the hulk twice in two yeah. straight movies yeah so in the recent rebooting of superman people uh generally really liked and we're about to see whether or not, you know, this Batman versus like Superman. See, I thought it was pretty good. I thought they didn't like it at all. Well, the difficult part with Superman is that Superman's not a compelling character. Right. Um, but, you know, now they're going to reboot Batman in a Batman versus Superman. Um, Which I'm not excited about. <laughs> and no I'm way. Excited about because I'm like, oh, Ben Affleck. Like, I don't really like Ben Affleck. He doesn't. Get I have no problem with Ben Affleck, and I don't like it. I'm not excited about this yeah. movie. Well, Wonder Woman's going to be in it, so that should be a nice disappointment. So. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> Again, Wonder They're Woman's just, in it, but they don't like, give her her own movie. Like, whenever yeah. It's kind of the point now where you have to have a female superhero in your movie, but they, would, they don't want to ever give one their own movie. Even when you've got like Scarlett Johansson, who is an amazing actress as Black does Widow, a, and the, does a great job. They don't give her enough attention. <laughs> she's barely in this movie, and she's probably, other than Robert Downey Jr., your best actor. And you oh, don't yeah. give her her own flick, and you don't give her but like forty-five lines. Yeah, yeah, it's that's insane. Well, have you seen? Have you seen on Netflix now? They've got uh, Jessica Jones. Have you seen? Uh, this? I haven't seen it. Apparently, it's amazing. I haven't seen it. So I just finished watching it um, when like I would, I would use it as study breaks because the episodes are, you know, like 45 minutes long or something like that, or like an hour long. And so um, just got done watching it. And while it is um, a lot more gritty and yeah. probably inappropriate than a lot of the,